Wilma! Welcome back to the uh, Wilma podcast, the White Lives Matter Always podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts here, uh, Sarah Good Medicine, a.k.a. Uh, Abiskunaki, a.k.a. Uh, DJ, MC, and B-Girl Medicine. Um, gee, I just got mad anxiety. Sometimes when we start this, this podcast, this gives me anxiety. Um, but um, really happy to be here today. Uh, today we're in Calgary Central Library, um, hanging out in the cafe here. And uh, yeah, uh, maybe you want to introduce y- yourself quick here. I'll do our land acknowledgement. You bet. This is uh, Stephen Wright speaking, a.k.a. the old white guy. <laughs> And uh, like Sarah said, we're in the Central Library, a beautiful building and a beautiful view of outside. Yeah, beautiful view. Uh, just before we get started, annoying uh, but necessary um, that uh, I guess even I just want to mention, you know, um, things get just commodified so quickly uh, in the hegemonic system that we're in. And so something like land acknowledgements, for instance, you know, just sort of gets accessorized to actually reinforce uh, the power structures that exist, the colonial power structures. So, you know, uh, just a note on that, that, you know, that's why we're trying to do a different take on uh, land acknowledgements, because uh, fuck the colonizers. That's how I feel. Uh, But I want to send some uh, some love, some good vibes out to uh, homies out in Siksika, uh, all the relatives down in Gainawa, which is the blood tribe. uh, Also, the uh, uh, North Pagan, or the Begani, uh, and the South uh, Pagan, the Escapi Begani, uh, which are all the major nations of the Blackfoot Confederacy, uh, Escapi Begani being below the U.S. border, US, U.S.-Canada border. Also, big ups to my relatives out from uh, Sutina there, the Beaver people. Also, all the homies that are hanging out there close to Banff and the foothills there from the Aahe or Stony Nakoda peoples. Uh, big ups to all my Wesley homies, uh, big ups to my Bear Spa homies, and uh, big ups to all my Chiniki homies out there. Um, also, uh, my uh, uh, half-breed friends there, my Machif friends, uh, we refer to this area as Region 3, and I actually think that's going to be changing as soon as the Métis Constitution for the Métis Nation of Alberta uh, comes through. But uh, for all you white folks out there who don't know the names of the local nations here you know that's the proper pronunciation and actually one more thing before i finish this land acknowledgement is that we were talking how there's uh you know white pronunciation of words and uh you know the actual pronunciation of words and so people will say uh picani you know which is good to to try if you don't know what it is there's no reason that you shouldn't be trying to pronounce things in a good way um, so where you're at is where you're at. So this isn't a shaming for you to try and pronounce it. Uh, but uh, the proper pronunciation, for instance, or very close, I still get corrected, is begunny, for instance. And instead of kainai, uh, it's gaina or gainawa, which uh, would be at the end. And instead of siksika, it's uh, siksika, right? It's a different pronunciation. The k's are kind of like g's. So, so we've got some interesting uh, topics for you today. I can already feel my butterflies going. I don't know if you want to uh, start us off. If there's any topics uh, that you want to pick off from our list that are standing out to you, uh, Steve? Uh, well, actually, there is one. Um, 
our last session, we were chatting about the media and news and what's been happening. And right, and this is our production session. This isn't our last recording. Yeah. Right, yeah. So we had actually talked about the news and, and how um, in this day and age, you hear a lot about what's happening in the Ukraine, about the war going on and, and stuff like that. And yeah. Um, I got actually kind of irate this past week because uh, when... Uh-oh, Steve's getting irate. <laughs> it kind of pissed me off because, again, um, I really think that we, uh, our government, the white liberals, make a lot of overtures, and it sounds really inclusive, but in fact, they're still going down that silly path of oppression. And so when they brought up the health care and how they signed this big, uh, big agreement with the premiers, there was another small, tiny little article that talked about how the First Nations were really disappointed that they weren't invited to the table to talk about their health care. Yeah. And um, if you sort of take a look at the history of the white person and the fact that we pretty well um, decimated the population of Buffalo, which is a really valuable, healthy food source, yeah. it's really just perpetuating that genocide in an entirely different way. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, and not just food source, you know what I mean? Like, uh, when we say, um, like, I don't know if you heard this expression, education is the new buffalo. You know, we don't say that uh, just because it's providing food. We say it because it also provided shelter for us, right? Yeah. Our teepees were made out of buffalo yeah. hides. Uh, our medicines came from uh, the buffalo, not just the buffalo, but uh, many medicines came from the buffalo. Uh, tools came from it. All sorts of things actually came, uh, ceremonial things, you know. And so when we say education is the new buffalo, we're saying it's the new way to provide for ourselves and, and for our families. Yep. Um, and, you know, the ironic part about you, you bringing up health care, uh, which is sort of what I wanted to, to bring up around this topic in the first place, um, well, one of the things is that universal health care today is not universally accessible by indigenous people, BIPOC people, you know, in general, but specifically the way that stereotypes and racism towards indigenous people plays out um, is that indigenous people can't access health care. And nobody really knows this, but universal health care as a model came from Treaty 6 being signed. There's a clause in that treaty called yes. the Medicine Chest Clause. And that was supposed to be wraparound health care. That was literally the first documented intent to have uh, universal health care. And so ironically, the relationship and treaty building, uh, relationship building with our peoples, with native peoples, you know, was the basis for uh, universal health care. And today, you know, when we go into a hospital, you know, one of the screening questions they ask, you know, for sure is like, have you been drinking? You know what I mean? Uh, a friend of mine uh, who works around childbirth has mentioned to me that um, it is a policy for no other race of people but indigenous people uh, that they need to talk about birth control. And that goes back to racism where, uh, you know, and it's not just this race, but predominantly has been uh, with indigenous people that um, colonizers didn't think we should be able to reproduce. And so there's a ton of, um, what do you call it, like um, sterilizations. Like, for instance, doctors who believed that indigenous people should not be able to reproduce. So they went in for like a routine checkup or a surgery yep. for something else. And while our people were under, uh, they also performed sterilization. Absolutely. And so this has been like ongoing violence, you know, from healthcare uh, system. 
the other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, which is that the irony uh, of, you know, the Ukraine war, which, you know, I'm sending my, my heart and love out to anybody who's been affected by that war, but we hear about that more because it's white people who are affected by that. If it weren't white people who are constantly uh, under attack there or the white uh, image, the white race was not under attack there, um, that, you know, we wouldn't hear about it. There's plenty of other conflicts going on in the world, but because uh, white people are being affected by that, um, you know, that there's, there's uh, you know, that's what we hear that's constantly happening. And, you know, I don't watch the news, but just, like, what were the things you were saying? Like, you know, Ukraine needs this, Ukraine needs that, you know, and what were those things? It was all basically about uh, providing Ukraine with more money and more funds, even more weapons to fight this war against the so-called evil. And I think, in my mind, when you were talking about health care uh, and sterilization, it actually rings hits home to me because of my experience working in an institution mm -hmm. where you're absolutely right as people were sterilized and, and they weren't even asked. No consent. Um, it's based on the medical model that these people need help and care. And so that same attitude, that oppressive attitude is projected towards the indigenous people that you need to be on birth control because you don't need to multiply. Yes. We can look after your health. We can supply your diet. We do all these things for you because you can't do it yourself, which is a true form of oppression. Yeah. And I just want to do a quick situational check-in here. We've already cleared out three white folks from our vicinity, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> just so we're, you know, keeping tabs. Uh, the first one uh, are the first two who left, uh, you know, uh, the one guy when I said the Wilma, uh, you know, referencing uh, that childhood show, you know, like smiled at me and like gave me the nod and as soon as I started saying white people looked down and was very uncomfortable with what yeah. I was saying uh, you know and this other person here you know definitely tuned in and kept looking over and uh, you know it's upsetting and uh, you know again just to reiterate you know we talk about other races all the time we say black yeah. we say native we say Latino you know, uh, we say Asian, Chinese, you know, all these other races, uh, you know, but we do not say uh, white. And that's, you know, again, another good example of how that racial hegemony, that uh, racial hierarchy uh, that exists, you know, um, it goes unchallenged, you know, in public spaces especially. And so, um, you know, we're sort of, uh, you know, testing the waters I guess and again you know something I wanted to bring up from our last podcast specifically um, was that when we decided to go to Karen Central for that last recording that you know I am mixed race I am white and uh, that you know one of the challenges uh, you know um, not one of the challenges just one of the realities is that I, I do have white conditioning and what that means is that I have a false sense of superiority, which also means I have a false sense of safety. Mm. Sometimes I forget that I'm mixed race. You know what I mean? My white mind, we might say, is just taking over. And so uh, I don't know if you want to comment about our last recording, but like I was very not in a good place after that recording. I felt very unsafe uh, and very uncomfortable. And... Um, like, I don't know if you just want to comment, you know. Oh, on absolutely. That. It, uh, first of all, I want to, s uh, the comment I want to make, the very first one was I was totally oblivious to that. 
Um, yeah. I saw that older gentleman. He definitely was getting upset and huffing and puffing and yeah. wiggling and getting upset. But I missed the other two. And that, actually, Robin DiAngelo, in her book, Nice Racism, actually talked about her response to something yes. versus her friend that was identified as being African-American. And so I think that piece is something that us white folks have to really, really be conscious of is the fact that when you bring up safe space, we desperately want to create safe space so people feel safe because we feel bad. And the reality is that there is not really any safe space if you're not white. Yeah. There's always going to be that oppression and, and that, that tension that's involved in that. Absolutely. And you know, the amount of times that I hear safe space, it's from white people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not oh, yeah. from BIPOC. No. It's us, it's us white folks, right? It's us white as a man. I want to create a safe space so everyone can feel comfortable and safe. And that's really disrespectful. You know, because it's so one sided. It, it is. And you know what it makes me think about how that functions is that, you know, if I'm a white man, uh, <laughs> which I'm not, uh, a man uh, or uh, fully white, uh, you know, she, her, my pronouns, by the way, BT dubs, um, that. Uh, you know, I actually want everybody to think uh, that a safe is space. A space is safe if I'm in power, right? It actually right. serves my yeah. position of power if everybody agrees that uh, you know uh, that we're supposed to feel safe in this space, uh, and I'm saying it's a safe space. It's like um, it's like if somebody uh, kidnaps you. Like, what's that famous movie where? Uh, like it puts the oil on its skin or whatever what's that um movie uh she's like down in the pit or whatever and he like lowers her anyways people people are gonna know what this is but anyways um you know if you have somebody who's kidnapped you you know for whatever reason um you know and they're telling you it's a safe space you know it's no different than that metaphor that i was i was bringing up um, with you that like white people are always holding a club over BIPOC people's heads yeah. and it's like you know that club is a big ass club it's very heavy just if that white person drops that club it causes major damage you know sort of thing uh, to whoever is below them which is BIPOC people and um, you know so it's like somebody holding a weapon over you like saying to you this is a safe space that is not s that like that is like the sort of quintessential example of gaslighting, but because uh, of the power that white people have um, and the influence that they have, because we live in a white hegemony, you know, BIPOC people we're sort of in a position where if we don't believe you, like when you're holding that club, Stephen, because you hold that club right now, absolutely, um, you know, uh, you could drop that club on us. You know what I mean? That is. So uh, this is a real sort of situation of white power and um, the nicest person in the world, just like you're bringing up nice racism, is holding that club. And, uh, you know, it's why Robin DiAngelo says that white liberals do the most amount of damage to BIPOC communities, because all those nice liberals, they don't want to think about themselves as holding a weapon over anybody, even though they are constantly holding that. Um, and yeah, I know I'm talking a lot, but I want to say one more thing here. When uh, people bring up 
uh, safe spaces, even if it wasn't uh, uh, a white person. Um, but most of the time it is. You know, my first question is safe for who? Like, who, right. are, who are you, like, ha like, is that not a quintessential, uh, you know, position of whiteness or a white person to say this, like, to use their power to assert that this is safe? Does safety really come from somebody else declaring it? Or does safety come from people saying, I feel safe in this space? And if I'm of a lower position in a hierarchy to you and I say, I feel safe, does that not mean more than somebody who's at the top of the hierarchy saying this Absolutely. is a safe space? You know what I mean? For me to indicate to you that this is a safe space here is, 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 a, is absurd. Um, because as I'm having a power, it's through my lens and what I see and what I experience and what my lived experience is. So that's a good example of how the hegemonic forces are in play mm -hmm. uh, because it's also leading us white people down the path that we're really nice and all our attempts are, are valid and they're not, can right? It's a con job. Can It is a con job. Can you think of times in your experience where you know either yourself or other white folks who have asserted that a space is safe, um, like is that something that you've observed or like, like? That's something that I've actually been involved in and I initiated, right? It, it's I was totally out to lunch on that. I, uh, for me to, to say to someone, I wanna create a safe space so you feel comfortable telling me how <laughs> you're feeling. <laughs> As a white person, that's ridiculous, right? It's, yeah. it's not for me to actually indicate what's safe and what isn't. No, but where do you think that comes from? Why do you think it is that it happens that way? Because, you know, like I said, it is usually white folks who are asserting. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's because we want to feel that we're, we're good people. We, uh, I actually truly believe that we, we, if we could, we'd wipe out history and write a new book. Yeah. And I take mean, out you, all you the ugly piece. Right? We yeah. have. We've written a brand new book that is simply not true at all. And so that's part of our persona. That's also, it's getting really deep, but that's also part of, of what democracy is. And really, for, for democ to say that everyone has a right to vote and everyone has a right to do this is absurd because um, us white folks have all the power, but really, for someone that isn't white, they have very little power or say in what goes on. Okay, so let's say, for instance, you know, uh, we have somebody, a nice liberal, a nice white person who is saying, you know, to somebody who's in a very vulnerable position, you know, I care about you, I think you're important, you know, um, that, um, you know, you deserve good things, you don't deserve to be put in a box, you know, you deserve your humanity. What do you think um, that white person is doing? Do you think that per white person actually means what they're saying? Um, I think they believe that what they're saying is true. I don't think really that a lot of white folks put a lot of thought into what their words <laughs> are or what they're saying. And a lot of time, and, and as I mentioned, you know, like us white folks, we just need to shut the hell up. <laughs> uh, and rather than sort of occupy that time and, and take over the conversation, I'm I'm I've I struggled with that at the beginning and why I'm, do I'm you struggle with that? Because um, I feel like I have lots to say, but I'm I'm realizing that my scope and my narrative and my lens is very narrow and it's very biased. And to be quite honest, I don't really trust what I say anymore. 
Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Um, well, you know, a wise person once told me that I asked what I could do about you know the things that were happening, and he said, "Steve, just listen. Shut up and listen." Um, and I think for you know for us to really dig deep and understand how the, these forces are, are are oppressive is we need to listen. We need to listen to the pain. We need to listen to the history. We have to wallow in that 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 pain of other people, and we desperately want to erase that pain and make everyone feel happy. See, I feel that, but I also f every time I feel like you say we got to wallow in that pain. You know, it brings up you know concerns around like, do you know what poverty poverty porn is? Oh, absolutely. You know, the thing is, um, I also feel, uh, and <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who feels this way that white people also, which is sort of true in a certain way, but uh, white people's liberation from being oppressors comes from uh, oppressed people. You know what I mean? Racialized yeah. uh, BIPOC individuals. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to poverty porn, you know, it's sort of this, you know, you know, it's, it's, it feels like, um, yeah, like I think there's just so many instances where I feel like a white person is trying to get me to alleviate their personal shame. Even in our relationship, you know, it, I feel like it comes up. And I don't mean that in a, again, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings yeah, or, no. or anything, but you know, because, you know, like I was talking to you just before we started recording, you know, in Pedagogy of the Oppressed, you know, it is the, uh, it is impossible for the oppressors to actually uh, lead the liberation, you know. And so, you know, but so there's something in there, I guess, that I'm, I'm trying to articulate. I don't know. What do you think about what I'm saying? No, I, and maybe I actually, you know what, Sarah, I don't think I articulated that piece uh, very no, well. You no, you said, you know, I'm, uh, so I think. So I think we need to, when I say wallow in that pain and shame, I think as white people, we're very good at sweeping things under the carpet because it makes us feel uncomfortable, and the and the truth hurts sometimes. Right. And I think what I'm saying is that we just have to, we just have to to accept the fact that that it is shameful and it's not going to go away and it's part of our history. Okay, so this brings up I think a point around words that we wanted to talk about. Uh, you know. White people talk too fucking much. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. Be yes. Okay, so another part to that, you know, the reason this topic came up is when we were doing our last production session, you know, I was trying to give you feedback to say, listen, what you're describing, which I can't totally, well, actually what it was was the Ukraine war. Yes. You know, the first episode we went to go record, I, I didn't bring it up, but I, br I think I brought it up in one of the production meetings. And a second time we had met in our last production meeting, I brought up and each time you had put up resistance towards me to talking about the Ukraine war. You kept allu alluding to it as if it was a sensitive topic. Today you have a different tone, which you know I deeply appreciate. But I was saying to you, Stephen, this is your whiteness coming out. You are being defensive of this. Not to say that there isn't, you know, humanity to be seen uh, in the Ukraine war, but that you were being resistant to talking about it because of your whiteness, because there was something in there that you felt or knew 
that was not, uh, you know, we shouldn't talk, we shouldn't be, you know, bringing race into something at atrocious like war. That, you know, maybe that's sort of how I'm, you know, interpreting it. But I, you know, what do you think about, you know, because uh, where I want to sort of go with this is good listening and bad listening. Because you were kind of... Uh, a bad listener. You were being a bad listener. You are being an asshole is actually what you were being. And I know you love me, uh, but it wasn't like you thought through, I'm going to be an asshole, I'm going to be mean to Sarah. But you were being resistant both those times. And, and I was bringing it up as a thing of whiteness. And you were not agreeing with me. And I said, well, that's okay. You don't have to agree with me, but that's the truth. Do you, rem do you remember when... No, I, I actually, that's all I've been thinking about <laughs> uh, since we had that conversation. Um, and, and you're totally right. Uh, and again, Say that one more time. You are totally right, man. I, I just wasn't listening. Um, and okay, so I agree with that. And I feel it feels nice to hear that because we're so invalidated and gaslit so much. Bringing this up, yeah. uh, bringing race up uh, with white folks. Um, could you give a definition of good listening and bad listening? Because I thought you gave it a good definition. Then I can prompt you if you remember. If you d if you had. Well, to me, really, there's the difference between bad listening and good listening. Is is good listening is really listening with an open mind, but also with your heart. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think the the forces of nature that are really dominating society. Um, have always tried to initiate uh, logical thinking. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, my whole life I've been taught you need to be more logical. You need to quit relying on your feelings and your right. intuition. But the, but the reality is uh, what occurred to the indigenous children in those residential schools is horrific, period. Yeah. Period, right? And so... I think good listening is listening with a with an open mind, but also with your heart. Yes, which is very important, and I agree with you deeply. Where I really wanted you to specify is bad listening. Bad listening is actually applying a white man's logic to what's actually happening. So what do you do when you're a bad listener? Uh, are you, are I you revert back to my whiteness, okay. uh, and I, I actually relate back to my to my lived experience. All right, you're getting a little woke on me. I'm just going to tell you here. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that a bad listener is uh, we is just already has what they're trying to say and is trying to find an opportunity to say what they were going to say. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. And that's what you did to me when we were talking about it. When I was saying yep. this is what you're doing, you like you know, on the I was I was quick to formulate a response back. Yes. And this is like to defend uh, classic myself. Classic white move. Classic yeah. white Yeah, we want to defend ourselves against what's obviously what's occurring, right? We're yes. so conditioned. We're so conditioned to be nice white folks is that it's hard to really break that pattern. And, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, actually, is I had a bit of time to really think about that. I played that conversation over and over again, trying to figure out what I did, because I knew what I, I did as soon as you brought it up. You yeah. called me on it, and you had the right to do that. You were absolutely In a loving right. way. I wasn't being mean about it. Well, and I think I want to also bring that up, too, is that I think I want to really set an example for people is that you and I can have fierce conversations. You can, you can, you know, you can call me on shit. Uh, 
And that's important to do that. I think that's the only way to move this forward is we have to be brutally honest. Yes. But also in the back of my mind, I do know that you care about me. Yes. And it's a new way of thinking and it's a new way of conversing and engaging with yes. people. Yes, and we uh, are fortunate that we have that relationship. But let me tell, let me ask you something. What if, uh, what if I'm a BIPOC person who doesn't care about you and I'm telling you this? You know what I mean? Like in a way what you're describing is actually a luxury you know what i mean yep. that because you're saying that you know i need to know that a bipoc person cares about me to say that you're being racist right now you're really being white right now do you know what i mean to can you comment on that because that's the situation that most people are going to find themselves in yeah uh, well i think when i when i what i was talking about is having those fierce conversations and if a stranger came up to me from the BIPOC community and Am said I fierce? That, uh, you're very passionate, and our conversation's going to be really passionate and fierce. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. I think that's a necessary component. Um, you know, I don't know. That might be a microaggression. I, it might be. <laughs> it might be. It might be. It might be. Um, I don't know if I would actually, what my reaction would be to a BIPOC person. I can tell you it probably wouldn't be good, you know, not because I know you don't care and how you want to intend yourself, but uh, based on your conditioning and based on society and based on the fact that it's constantly reinforced, you know, the hegemony and the power dynamics that yeah. exist, you know, that we as BIPOC folks are constantly, you know, walking on eggshells so that people who look like you can feel comfortable and feel safe. And feel good about ourselves. Yes, exactly. And even, you know, the thing is, uh, the reason I bring that up is because even though you're saying, yes, you know, we do have a good relationship, you know, I still have fear, you know, when I challenge you. Even now, yep. like when we're talking, you're saying, I know, I, I know you care about me. You know, but even saying that, I carry a deep amount of fear, you know, which is my conditioning, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. uh, it brings me up so something that I want to bring up quick here, which is that um, in uh, Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, he refers to oppressed people fearing um, freedom and oppressors fearing losing uh, their freedom or their power. And so, you know, each of us, you know, has, uh, you know, something to deal with with that fear. And, you know, I think that defending what you're talking about, white people getting defensive, to me, fits that narrative of you're afraid of losing that power, that what we're talking about. But, you know, the thing is, it's not about judgment. You know, the reason his methodology mm -hmm. refers to dialogue is so that we can talk about it, so that when we're talking, and I'm talking to you, you can see yourself in me, and I can see yourself in you, and while we're in this moment of dialogue, you, it's like holding up a mirror, and you, just like what you're saying, you can reflect on it, you can think about things afterwards, and realize, wow, I was really being an oppressor there, you know, I was really being an asshole there, I didn't have any intent, that wasn't my thought or feelings at all, but, you know, that doesn't matter, you know, if that's the impact of what you're doing, and that's oftentimes what white people will hide behind, They'll say, like, well, my intent wasn't this. You know, I didn't intend it that way. I heard that, like, fucking seven times this week already. You know what I mean? Uh, but it doesn't matter because uh, the impact of what you're doing is racist. And the I'm not grilling you right now, by the way. I'm just, this is a general white people rant, uh, just so you know. 
uh, Stephen. Um, but like, it's not about your intent. The impact of your actions is what matters. It's not to say your intent doesn't have a part of it, but that if your intent is so disconnected from the impact of what you're doing, yeah. it really highlights the position of power that you're in, that you don't actually have to give a shit about what your impact is. So, um, Yep, and that's, a, if I can just add to that. Yes. I totally agree with you, <laughs> by the way, but um, um, if you sort of look at through the lens of neuro-linguistics um, processing, Everyone has a positive, everyone's behavior, no matter how deviant it is, always has a positive intent. And so for us white folks, uh, our intent is to, to make things okay and make things better, but our actions really are, are in total opposition to that. Yeah. And I think that's the key for us, for the white people or people in power, to really critically analyze our actions yes. to see what our impact is. And I think I picked that up from Robin D'Angelo's book where she was totally oblivious about her engagement with her friend that was black, even though they've known each other. She actually yes. said a really dumbass thing to her. Yes. And and I, I as soon as as soon as I saw that, um, I actually automatically thought about that conversation that you and I and I thought Steve like the hell were you saying? Like, what were you doing? You weren't actually listening. No. Even though my intent yes. could have been honorable, and it the just action was, was totally wrong. Thank you for saying that. And it just goes to show you how much different worlds that we live in. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? So, um, so I think we're running out of time here. Um, can you just reiterate, there's, like, I do feel anxious and I have felt, you know, sort of, uncomfortable talking to you to bring up these things and sort of feel like I'm, you know, I don't like this way of saying it, but sort of calling you on some things or calling some things out as we're talking here. Can you reiterate to the white folks who are listening here um, that what I have shared and what I have done is not uh, me attacking you or me, you know, trying to de de belittle you or something? Can you just kind of reaffirm that? Because I already know from my white spider senses uh, that there are going to be white people who feel like I've been sort of coming at you or um, and I just you know would appreciate yeah. you to sort of I actually think you've you've you've, you've um, you have a remarkable restraint uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, um, it, I it may have felt at the very beginning it was a t attack, but that's coming from my own personal issues. So, sorry, can we person. reiterate that one sec? So, you did feel it. I don't mean, I'm not calling you out on anything and saying this. I just want to make this observation that some of the things I was saying, may, they did actually make you feel a little attacked. Yeah, they made me feel attacked, even though you s you said you weren't, and even though I consciously knew you weren't. Right, the feeling. The feeling that I have was attacked, and that's the piece when I said that people need to, to listen with their brains, but also with their heart. Because uh, if I can't take feedback about something that us white folks are doing, we're never ever gonna make any change and I can never really be a full ally. So to me, to being an ally, and this is good for me because I'm sort of going through this process of figuring out, okay, what are you gonna do about this shit, Steve? <laughs> And I think part of that is is to learn to take that feedback and to think about how it feels and to critically analyze what our place is in society. The society, by the way, that white folk have created. Yes. Um, 
and how are we going to dismantle that? Nice so. job, Steve. Thank you for doing that. We're way over time. We tried it. The aim is like 20 to 30 minutes, you know, so, but we keep going over time. We haven't even hit all of our topics today. Um, so we'll just have to hold our last one, false generosity, um, to uh, talk about next time there. But, you know, I do want to say uh, we do have an Instagram now. It's at uh, the Wilma podcast, spelled T H E W L M A podcast. That's our handle. Uh, we're also on Twitter now. Um, as well, if you want to reach out to us uh, on email, it is T-H-E-W-L-M-A-Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Wilma Podcast at gmail.com and at the Wilma Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out, if you have feedback for us, <laughs> if you feel bad for Steve and you want to tell us you know, how you're <laughs> feeling, uh, please uh, reach out. And also the other thing is, I think we just need to say this, Share with all your white friends, you know, who yeah. whoever you are. This is this is what we're doing this for, um, is to sort of start deconstructing whiteness and have diverse perspectives of whiteness. So share this with all your white friends, and uh, I'll just say thank you for tuning in. And uh, this has been episode three of uh, the Wilma Podcast. Any closing uh, thoughts there after? No, we just to reinforce what you said about all you white folks out there. Uh, <laughs> if you're feeling really uncomfortable and you're, and you're feeling that you've been unjustly criticized, uh, reach out to us, right? Because the only way we're going to make change is to have discussion and dialogue. Well put. There you go. Well put. This has been the Wilma Podcast, Episode 3. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll be releasing a new episode the first Monday of every month. Um, so this episode will be coming out uh, the first Monday of March, uh, coming up here soon. And uh, every uh, subsequent uh, first Monday, we'll be having a podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you again. Adios.